0: Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Ash-hadu la ilaha illallah wa abduhu wa Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In alhamdulillah. We're here today in the medical center here in Houston, Texas. What's the name of the medical center? Texas Medical Center. Texas Medical Center in Texas. Oh, that works. It's very intelligent. I like that. And you're listening to a almost live broadcast because we were live when we did it and we hope we're still alive when you hear it in the future. This is Islam Always. We have our website at islamalways.com and this is your host Yusuf Estes, the retired National Muslim Chaplain. And we're here today on the subject we're going to be talking about science. The science that we find in Islam and in the Qur'an, and we're going to begin, inshallah, by talking about something called the Qur'an, by mentioning what is Qur'an. Now how many of you are, by the way, Muslim? Do we have any Muslims with us today? Raise your hand. any Muslims here? Well, several, mashallah. Well, let's ask another question. Is there anybody here that's not Muslim yet? Not Muslim? How do you like being surrounded by all these terrorists? <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. No problem? Huh? No. Good. Oh. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, what we'll do then is try to break down each of the words that we use to be sure that you understand what we mean by the word. The word Quran, by the way, doesn't mean scripture. It doesn't mean book. It means something being recited, coming from the root in the Arabic, "qara'a." And this is recitation. Who recites it is a Qari. And when you order somebody to recite it, you say to them, ikara. So, recitation, you recite, and a reciter. I I stress that all the time because a lot of people have a tendency to try to compare the Quran to the Bible of today on the Bible of today is in written form. That's the only way it's really known. You don't find people really memorizing the Bible in the ancient Hebrew and passing it on. But I would like to mention that that is what they used to do. Centuries and centuries ago, that is how that the Hebrew tribes used to preserve their work, is that they would write it but they would also memorize it. They used to bury the scripture in the ground and then every so many years they would dig it up and have a festival and they would you know uh, compare they would have reciters and they would be sure that they compared with what they had. So similarly we find that the Quran is like this that it is memorized and then it's passed down generation to generation to generation and it remains exactly the same today as it was at the time of Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him. That's, by the way, one of the miracles of the Quran is that it's preserved exactly after 1,400 years in the original language of Arabic. The majority of Muslims, by the way, today, some people say 88%, some say 85%, doesn't really matter, but the vast majority of Muslims on the planet are not Arabs and don't speak Arabic language. However, they do memorize the Quran in Arabic even though it's not their language. And they memorize again, as I said, exactly as it came in the original form. Another thing that we find from the Quran is that it is a work of literature in the Arabic language that has no comparison. Even those who are not Muslims, they could be atheists, agnostics, Christians, Jews. Yet, when they know the Arabic language, they very, very frequently use the Quran as a benchmark something to compare to because of the strength of the Quran in the Arabic language the way it presents things and the usage of the structure of the language itself also the Quran is something that's easy to memorize this is a separate issue by the way because just the fact that it's nice or it sounds good or you know, but the idea that people who are not Arab memorizing it has something amazing. Especially when you consider they memorize the whole thing. In my own case, I was afraid to even learn the Arabic language in the beginning because I looked at a piece of paper with Arabic on it and I looked at that and I said, looks like you can turn it upside down or right side, doesn't matter. It looks the same. But then one day, it became real important for me to know what's in the Quran in the Arabic. I don't I, I don't want to know the translation. I want to know what does it really say in Arabic. And from that point, when I made up my mind to really try, I used to supplicate ask Allah to guide me. And he did. And I came across some tapes and a little booklet for that. And within six weeks I could go through the entire Quran and be able to recite it. Six weeks. Doesn't mean I don't know all the words because obviously even Scholars still are learning words in Quran, but I'm saying that to be able to look at it and make those little symbols, those little pictures, represent a sound to you, even the sound of a pitch or how long to hold it. So, and it could be maybe because I had a musical background that I know how to read notes, maybe I was looking for a good substitute for my music. <laughs> There's not too much music in Islam. So, alhamdulillah, that's, that's how that. Uh, get started with me. Now I want to move to the area that I really wanted to talk about tonight is talking about science and some of the miracles. Today we have a tendency, as people usually do anyway, in all ages, but have a tendency to believe that we're already at the highest place people could go. Very, very seldom do you find people really looking forward to like they're going to know so much more in the future. We feel like we know it all, all there is to know. A hundred years ago at a patent office, In Washington, D.C., they were talking about patents, and somebody said 100 years ago, everything that's going to be invented has already been invented. That's how sure people are that we've got everything. And so we might feel the same way today. But also we might not realize things that we had in the past, where our science came from, for instance. I want to give you some examples of it and see how it affects you. I think most of the audience here uh, has been in some form of education. Everybody here has a degree in something or going to school, right? Okay. So, we're familiar with something. If I mention the song, even though maybe you don't like music, but you might find that you know this song. It's called Pomp and Circumstance. Everybody know that one? How about if you hear it? Pomp, pom, pom, pom. Bum, bum, yeah. Over and over and over. They play it for two or three hours straight. When? When you graduate, right? You walk across the stage and you get to take the tassel from one side, put it on the other, and you get the little scroll in your hand and you graduate right? Well, that's strange because, believe it or not, some of that comes from Islam. Not the music part. And he you what? I'll bring stuff in a weird way. I could just tell you, but it's no fun. It's more fun to watch your face. The black robe, where would this come from? You know? And then, what do you call somebody after he completes his degree? When he comes back, he's one of the people who has graduated from the college. He is one of the Alumni, from what word? Show me the word in English this comes from. "alim." it's Arabic, someone of knowledge. The diploma itself, when they put it into your hand, that diploma, where does this idea come from? Do you know? It never existed before the great uh, reign of science in Spain didn't exist. There wasn't such a thing as a diploma like that until the Europeans visited Spain and picked that habit up from the Spanish Muslims. Does anybody know what it was? In Arabic, you call it ijazah. You know what's ijazah? When somebody completes a particular course, for instance, um, you memorized all these hadith, and the scholar says, okay, now... I give you the permission to go out and teach. Otherwise, they used to forbid anybody to teach until you had this ijazah and that today is equal to the diploma. So I'm giving you this idea so that you can make a a comparison and a contrast between what we have today and what Muslims had a thousand years ago. And while I'm on that subject a thousand years ago, Islam was well established a thousand years ago very well established. Islam was going out into China to the east, all the way over into Morocco in the west and into Spain and into Turkey. Right? Alhamdulillah. But along with it went something called knowledge. And the people of those days were very interested in expanding their knowledge. And they began to translate some of the old Greek works, things that were done in Greek and and some Latin, but mostly the Greek works, from Plato, Socrates, things like this, and study their teachings and then compare things from that to the teachings of the Quran and the Hadith of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And they made a lot of amazing discoveries. One of the discoveries... Of course, everybody knows that in Plato's time, people considered that the earth was basically flat. They had a lot of strange ideas. Hydrology, for instance, in those days was considered to be simply the wind blows the water and it catches some of the foam or the waves and the wind picks it up and just kind of like blows it inland and it becomes clouds and falls down. That's what they figured. Well, the Quran explained hydrology in details about evaporation, condensation, even the formation of the hail and when it goes up and down, how it creates lightning. Something not known until just a couple hundred years ago when we began to develop the form of the science of meteorology, which, by the way, doesn't mean to study meteors and study weather. (laughs) So, what I'm telling you about is a particular period of time and a place. I'm talking about Spain, predominantly in this little talk. But I'm going to slip around the corner and go over to Egypt for a minute in this talk and look at what they had a thousand years ago. Approximately a thousand years ago. Instead of having a flat rock and saying this is what the earth looks like, they had a round globe in Al-Azhar University. A round globe thousand years ago. It had drawings on it representing continents. And by the way, it's not exactly right because Florida points straight down instead of out to the side as we know it today. But not too bad for somebody guessing, is it? Which indicates, obviously, that the Muslims had been traveling to some extent at least. Otherwise, they wouldn't know this. But how did they get the idea that the world was round? Then in the Quran we find Allah saying that. That the earth is turning. Turning. It's also mentioning though that the sun is in an orbit. Now people could have thought, well, because most people thought that the sun is going around the earth. But we find today that the sun is in an orbit. A big orbit. Just as... Our moon is going around our earth. Our earth is going around the sun. The sun also has something out there somewhere that is going around. It's in an orbit. These are amazing things when you begin to add this up because you got to remember that this is coming 1,400 years ago in the desert in Saudi Arabia from a person that could neither read nor write. Salam, peace be upon him. Hmm. Earlier today we were over at the University of Houston and I shared with them and I'd like to share with you something that amazed me the first time I discovered this thing. Because each person when they come into Islam they feel like they're discovering the world. And you are. You're discovering your world. You're discovering your purpose of life. You're discovering who is your God. You're discovering what He wants from you. All of these things you're discovering. So you feel like a, a pioneer or an explorer. And it's good it's very good but one of the things that came to me and it's so profound and those of you in the medical field especially in dealing in gynecology or embryology you'll be surprised unless you know about Islam to find this was all mentioned in the Quran 1400 years ago and actually some of what you use today in medicine is coming from this this science developed by Muslims many years ago And that's the verse that I'm referring to as having the word Qur'an or a form of the word Qur'an in it. A form of the word Qur'an in it. It starts with that. It's the very first word that the angel Gabriel spoke to Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. He said to him, this word, Iqara, which is a form of the word Qur'an. It means, you recite. And he said, but, I don't recite. I'm not a reciter. La'anabikari. Then the angel grabbed him and squeezed him and let him go. And he told him again, Ikara, you recite. And he said, I'm illiterate. I don't know how to read and write. And again the angel squeezed him again and released him. Ikara, you recite. Now what should he recite? What should he say? Before I give you that answer, I want to tell you something. Well, this event which took place in a cave called Hirat in the mountain called Jabal Nur, Mountain of Light, this happened fourteen hundred years ago. More than that, actually. A little bit more than that. On a special night in the month of Ramadan. Ramadan's starting tomorrow, is it? So this is a good time for me to talk about it, isn't it. But on the night of power, as it's called, in Ramadan is when this actually happened. Ikora. And guess what? This was an event foretold of in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Go read it. I'll let you read it on your own and discover and see if you can pick up. But I will share with you one word. They used the word cry instead of the word Ikora. Because in the days when the Bible was translated, a crier was not somebody that was going, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. A crier was a person who used to announce or recite. An announcer and a reciter. Somebody used to memorize the events of the day. Then in the evening as the sun would go down, he'd walk around town and cry out the events of the day. He was called the town crier. The one who goes out reciting the events of the day. So, if you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, you're going to discover an amazing thing. An illiterate man that can't read or write is being ordered to cry out or recite, What shall I recite? And it comes. And I'll give it to you in the Arabic. I'll give it to you in the Arabic. خَلَقُ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقُ اِكْرَوَ الْرَبُقُ الْأَكْرَمُ الَّذِي عَلَمُ بِالْقَلَمُ عَلَمُ الْإِنسَانَ مَلَمْ Yalam Those are the first words that came. And if Allah forgive me for my poor Arabic, I'll try to give you the translation of it to Texas English. The first word, recite. Well, we already know that. We're experts on that word now. I said it a bunch, right? Recite. In the name of your Lord, who created created mankind from an alak, recite, and your Lord is so generous, who taught man the use of the pen, taught man what he didn't know. What's an alaq? You're supposed to ask me what's alaq. Because I left it in Arabic. The word I didn't say was in Arabic. Didn't give you translation. The reason is because we don't have one word in English. It takes several words in English to explain this word alaq. But if you go to the Arabic dictionary, Arabic English dictionary, and look it up, you will find it has several understandings in the English language. One, strangely enough, is a leech. You know what a leech is, right? Anybody have a lawyer? Kind of, but no, just kidding. No, a leech, you know that, that little creature which is in the water down in the Amazon River? You go swimming and it gets on you, starts sucking blood out of you. Well, it is like a lawyer. I forgot about that. Anyhow, so <laughs> so what happens, we have now this clear meaning of something that attaches penetrates the skin and starts to draw blood out. Got it? A leech. olive. But another meaning for it, it says, is something that is hanging or clinging like a refrigerator magnet would cling. That can be called an olive, because it's hanging on. The third meaning is a clot. Whenever you have a, a hemorrhage of some kind, you have bleeding is going on here, and then it starts to coagulate and form this clot in arabic that's called a alaq now what's interesting about this is that all three of those meanings exactly describe what it looks like when a baby is first conceived when the egg is fertilized and what happens inside of the uterus when this egg or in arabic zygote attaches to the wall of the uterus in the womb what happens it penetrates and begins to draw blood out hangs attaches itself and forms a clot all at the same time perfect word perfect word. you know who said it was perfect not me because i'm not i'm not in that business dr keith moore one of the top embryologists maybe in the world in toronto canada and we have him on video. We videotape this and we have it on our website. You can watch him say it. You can watch him explain it and tell you much better than me all about this subject. In fact, we have about seven scientists on our website talking about the various disciplines and how that the Quran has explained these to the extent that people are saying, how could somebody 1,400 years ago come up with this stuff? Regardless, and even the smartest uh, professor or the biggest alim in the world 1,400 years ago couldn't come up with it. How about a man in the desert that can't even read and write? Strange. I'm going to make a summary of several points because I'd like to encourage you to use our website to get the details. Islamalways.com I-S-L-A-M-A-L-W-A-Y-S dot And when you go there, you're going to find a lot of other websites that we hook to because we set it up as a system. There are things that some people are interested in more so than others, so we put them on different domain names so it's easier to remember it. We have Islam tomorrow. We also have Islam yesterday. We also have today Islam. And we have Islam always. For those who like to listen, we have hear Islam. Those who would like to view it, we have Watch Islam. And they're all dot com. But you don't have to remember any of that. Just always remember when you always would like to go to learn about Islam always go to islamalways.com Thank you very much. Now I see that I brainwash you. That's the end of the commercial. I'll go back to the program. <laughs> Already in progress. Well, you got to put up with that. You know, we're here in the West. That's what you're used to. This is the TV. I'm sorry. But It's an amazing thing when you find scientists who are saying, how could this be? It's not possible. How could the trimesters, for instance, be described exactly in the Quran? And they only come up with this a few just recently coming up with the idea of trimesters in the West. How is it in the Quran that is describing, as we already mentioned, how lightning is formed? Because that's definitely something that only in the recent years people have understood that the formation of lightning comes as this result of this positive-negative charge in the ions when the hail goes up and down. And I'll let you read the rest of it on the website. How about this one, though? When in the Quran it talks about what, it, what mountains are like on the other side. We all see the top part of the mountain, right? You know what an iceberg is, right? The iceberg floating along in the water. But the biggest part of the iceberg is under the water, isn't it? But did you know mountains are like that? Well, oh, I never thought about that. When was the last time I ever crawled underneath a, a mountain and looked at it? We're not big enough to do that. That's impossible. Nobody could even think about that until recent years. And the description in the Quran talking about what it looks like underneath a mountain. Okay, now stop and think what this means underneath the mountain. And first of all, you can't even climb on top of one, probably, without having some serious problems. But how do you climb underneath a mountain and look underneath? Even if you were there, it would be dark, I think, right? How would you know what you're looking at? But it's described in the Quran and you can go to the books and geography and look at this when they show you how does this work and it's on our website. And it looks like these long teeth or long sticks or long tent pegs. And the word in Arabic, Autad. Autad. And it's in the first surah in Juz'ama, chapter uh, 78 of the Quran. Read it and see when Allah talks about this. He's describing what is holding the earth. And how it keeps it from shaking. And he describes how these long, long tent pegs are going down into the ground. Is that amazing? I guess so, because there's not too many mountains out in the desert. Even the one we're talking about, Jabal Nur, is not a huge mountain. Mount Uhud, you've all heard about Mount Uhud in Medina, right? That's also not very big. I think this building is bigger than that, okay? They talk about Mountains such as in Safa and Marwa. If you haven't been there, you assume these are big mountains. And actually, it's like a two-story building. That's about it. So how could somebody in a desert come up with this description? There are a number of other miracles that we find in the scientific arena in the Quran. But I've mentioned some from literature point of view. The linguistics... I've also mentioned now some of the things that I think are sort of flashy. But how about this? I want to talk about something about the Quran that is still maybe a miracle, but something sweet, something very nice. I personally had it happen to me, and I've seen it in the last 14 years many times. And that is that when a new person, and I, I was trying to convert a Muslim to become Christian. I used to be a preacher. And I want to convert this guy. Come be a Christian. Let Jesus save you, right? Okay. In the process, though, of my debating with this man, whenever he would like to recite the Quran and then tell me the meaning, I found myself saying to him, would you mind reciting that again? Because I'd like to hear that again. he said, why? You don't know what it means. I said, it just sounds nice. Uh, Just do it slow, though. Because he he might say, I said, say it slow. And he looked at me strange. Why? I said, I don't know. Can you just say it slow? I said, whoa. Say it again. He said, I didn't even tell you what it means. I said, that's nice. Those who have never heard somebody recite the Quran might find that strange. But how about this? I have many friends, by the way, in New York and Washington, D.C., places like this that are taxi drivers. And when a taxi, a Muslim, a lot of taxi drivers are Muslims, by the way. When a Muslim is riding around in his car, what he likes to do, all Muslims, even if he's not such a good Muslim, he still likes to do what? We love to listen to Quran. It's very common to find a Muslim has Quran, and CD or tape, and, or if it's in some countries, they have the radio station having Quran, they like to listen to it. So, one told me this, and it's not just one story, I've heard it several times, but I'll just tell you this one particular one. He said that when some customers got into his cab, after they said where they want to go, he reached over to turn it off, and they said, whoa, stop, leave that music on, that sounds nice. So he left it on, and they were saying, what kind of music is this? This is nice. He said, what do you feel? He said, I feel peaceful. I feel peaceful when I hear it. Now, there's no instruments musical instruments go with Quran. This is only this instrument right here, the voice. And so when people say music's not legal in Islam, that's not exactly correct. It depends on what instrument. This instrument is very much an obligation for you to use it. But this instrument, no. <laughs> that's not a part of Islam. The, the guitar. But... When you hear somebody with a good voice, I don't have a good voice, by the way. They never, even though I was a music minister, I was in charge of keyboard, uh, orchestration, choral, things like that. But don't sing. That was real. If this guy's going to sing, we're leaving. <laughs> in fact, one even told me something about <laughs> if you have to sing, could you at least wait till we get the collection first? <laughs> nah. But anyhow. Even a person with a poor voice can recite the Quran at least to the extent and I've had so many people tell me. I remember one time uh, in San Antonio they had a seminar on death and dying. Dying and death, I think is what was the name of it. And uh, of course it was geared at the seniors. And they brought all these seniors in and they had, you know, what's the perspective of death and dying from, for instance from the Hindu point of view. Then another day it was from the Jewish point of view and a Christian point of view. And then they asked me to go do it for the Muslim point of view. So I gave a talk about what's death and dying in Islam, etc. And when I was all done, one of the elders there came up to me and he said, you know, I just have to tell you something. Thank you for coming and everything. He said, but I just have to tell you, you know, that song you were singing is sure pretty. (laughs) Let me share something with you right now from the Quran." This is the first surah. It's called al Fatiha. And this is the seven verses repeated in our prayers. Every day, we pray five times a day. And we recite this a number of times in each one of those prayers. And it's about 17 times a day we recite it. So maybe that's why I remember it pretty good and maybe it'll sound all right. A'udhu billahi min shaytani rajeem Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen ar Rahmanir ar-Rahim Maliki yawmiddin Iyaka nabudu wa Iyaka nasta'een Idina siratul mustaqeen The meaning of it is difficult to put into the English language because the English is very limited, very limited when you come to these beautiful words. But I'm going to try anyway. First, it begins with, In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most beneficent. All the praise, devotion, and worship is due only to Allah, the most gracious, the most beneficent. You could also say the most merciful, it's also in there too. The ruler on the day of judgment. You only do we worship, and you only do we turn to for guidance guide us on the straight path the path of those who have your favor but not the path of those that have your anger or those that go astray that's pretty much usually the English translation is that right? pretty close so from there the next thing that comes up in the Quran is the biggest surah that was one of the small ones. Then a really big one, 286 verses, comes up. And it says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alif dammim Thalikul kitabu al-rayb fi hudu lil-muttaqeen al yukminuna bil-ghaybi wa yukimuna salata wa mimma yunfikun وَعَالَّذِينَ يُكْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَبِلَا كِعْتِهُمْ يُوكِنُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ rabbihim رَبِّهِمْ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ مُفْلِهُونَ That's not all 286 verses. That's the introduction to it. Allah says here, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. I use different words words of English the same words in Arabic Alif, Lam, Mim. these are three letters from the Arabic alphabet and then it says that is the book wherein there is no doubt a source of guidance for those who put a petition between themselves and the anger of Allah and I gave that in quotes Taqwa Taqwa put a petition between you and Allah's anger from the root in the Arabic language we say pious or righteous. It's only going to be a, go- a, size, a source of guidance for those who have this. Taqwa. And they believe in al-ghayb. The unseen. And they establish regular worship. As-salah. And they pay charity from the risk. From the things that Allah gives them. They give charity. And... They have to believe in what's being sent down to Muhammad, which is the Quran, and they have to believe in what was sent down to the previous prophets, which is the Bible, what we call the Bible today, the book. And they have to believe in the resurrection. They have to believe in the next life. They have to believe in heaven and hell, the day of reckoning. All of that is a part of the belief. And then it continues, it says, and these people, the ones who believe this, they're on the guidance of Allah. And they're the ones that are successful. So the request that I made in the first part, when I asked Allah to guide me, He told me, the guidance is right here in the Quran. And if you do these things, and He gave the list, then you're guided. So That's a good way for me to kind of wrap it up and say, you know what? We talked about the science. We talked about the miracles. I want to be guided, do you? If you believe there's a God, I guess that's the best one to turn to. You don't need to worship what He creates. You need to worship Him. And the only way you're going to find that out is from Him. No other way. So he sent a book and he sent a messenger 1,400 years ago. All you got to do is be a real scientist today. You know what a real scientist does? He doesn't start out with preconceived notions. He doesn't start out with prejudices. He starts out with a clean slate. He starts out with a blank piece of paper and takes his pen and then he listens and he watches and he records and then after he goes to a point and he sees something doesn't work, he throws it away. If it doesn't work, doesn't fit. I don't need it. I only need the facts. Just the facts. And this is exactly what the Quran encourages us to do, to think, to reflect, to observe what's around us. So with that, I'm just going to say that the prayer I made, I, I really mean it. I ask Allah to guide me and all of you. I ask Allah to guide every single Muslim and non-Muslim to the real truth, and make it easy for us to be rightly guided. Amen. You've been listening to Islam Always, and we're broadcasting almost live today from right here in Houston, Texas, at the Medical Center. And till next time, always go to our website at islamalways.com. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.